0: Today, um, we have hamburgers, we have fries, we have hot dogs. What do you want? Fries and a hot dog. Alright, fries and hot dogs. We'll be right back for that. <coughs> it's gonna cost 14 dollars. I have thirty dollars.
1: Right, see sixteen.
0: Alright, we can take that. Here we do fly. The hot dog is gonna be ready in a few um, minutes. So I'll so I'll um ask you what you wanna drink too. What you wanna drink? Um. We have fruit punch. We have spike, We have Dr Pepper. Oh, we have um. right so what do you want Food all right it will be out in just a minute the drink is gonna cost a uh, hundred a uh, million quarters i only have 16 dollars we can take that okay do you change okay you your fruit plants. Sorry your hot bag isn't gonna be ready in the you um sent so long. What do you want for your kids? Kids, what do you want? What do you want um Dr. Pepper? Okay, Dr. Pepper. Um I think that is not for kids here. Yeah.
1: All right, all right. Well, it's good to have you all here this morning. Uh, If you're new with us, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you here this morning, you should see one in the pew rack in front of you here in the West Auditorium. Then hello to my friends over in the East Auditorium. There's some folks walking around with some Bibles if you need one in there. And in either space, if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that as a gift from us to you. Um, We would love for you to have that. Again, we say it's better uh, with you than it is sitting in the pew rack six days a week. And so as you turn there, you know, looking at this uh, little video kind of prior to our time, you know, it can be, it can be pretty funny looking at and watching adults act like kids. But generally in life, not the goal. Right? Like we want to we grow up. We want to mature. We don't want to do the opposite and, and become like kids as we grow up. In fact, the book of Hebrews in the Bible says it this way. It says that we want to move uh, from being uh, on milk, you know, like babies, to solid food. It says that solid food in our life, and our faith, is for the mature, who by constant use of God's word have trained themselves up to distinguish good from evil. And so that's what we want to do. We want to mature in our life and our faith, obviously, as we develop and grow up. But what if, as adults, what if it, it meant for us to take the next step in our faith development and our faith maturity, what if it meant, ironically, to actually become more like a child? we see this uh, demonstrated for us in a couple of stories, a couple of situations uh, in the book of Matthew with Jesus. And so if you've made it there to Matthew 18, uh, I would invite you to read uh, what Jesus has to say about this, starting in verse one. It says this, at that time, the disciples, they came to Jesus and they asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Okay. Not necessarily a bad aspiration. You know, how do I be great in God's kingdom? Uh, A good question. Uh, But Jesus is very quick to catch their motives and be very clear to say, okay, your question isn't wrong, but the way you might be heading with the conclusion of what it means to be great could be. So Jesus is very careful to be clear how he defines greatness, what it actually means to be great in his kingdom. And so he defines it in an unexpected explanation. Keep going with me in verse 2. He called, Jesus called a child to him and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, if you want to be great, not a, bad, not a bad aspiration, but let's make sure we're clear that what that means is you're going to be taking a lowly position, that of a servant, he says elsewhere. Um, and then when it comes to our faith, you might have heard the expression, you know, faith like a child or a childlike faith. And so that's what Jesus says we need to aspire to and whatever that means uh, in our development of becoming more like him. And then in verse 5, he gives this, you could say this, by the way. When it comes to talking about children, he goes on, he says, oh, and by the way, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And so here in just these five short verses, we see pretty quickly, uh, to start off our time together, two very important lessons that are going to guide our conversation here the rest of the morning. That number one, Jesus reveals that when it comes to matters of life and faith, there's a lot that we can learn from, when it comes to learning from a child in regards to our life and faith. And oh, by the way, when it comes to not only learning from them, make sure that in the process we are being intentional in welcoming, he says, in caring for children. And um, really this is illustrative, Jesus uses this, not just for children specifically, but you could say just the little guy. Um, the low guy on the totem pole, uh, someone who is maybe new or young in the faith is another way in which this is expressed. But of course, this also includes very specifically children too. And so uh, Jesus is teaching us these two things. And then if we flip over to Matthew 19, um, we see something we always want to see when someone preaches. We see Jesus, you could say, practicing what he preaches. He's not just say, prioritize children. He, in fact, does this. And we see this in Matthew 19 in verse 13. It says this, that then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. Uh, And I love this scene. I I love to imagine what the scene might have been like. You know, these these little kids like running up to Jesus, climbing up on his lap like he was Santa or something to receive a blessing and for him to pray for them. And uh, I think about the scene and it probably wouldn't have been a whole lot like Santa at the mall where you wait for your thirty dollar picture. Uh, you know, these kids were not gonna be in their finely dressed clothes. I mean, this is these are just kids and parents just kind of, you know, kids being kids. And so I imagine they would have come running up, you know, just you know, with their little Kool-Aid mustache stained deal going on, and they would have had, you know, um, you know, maybe a little snot coming out of that one nostril, you know, their fudgicles and they're melting it on Jesus' robe. And it's just like, I mean, it's just kids being kids and Jesus saying, bring it on. Bring it on. Bring on the kids. Uh, And so that's what's happening. But the disciples, it says, verse 13 continues. It says the disciples, they rebuked them. They rebuked the children. You could say they're strongly corrected them. They're they're pushing them aside saying, don't run to Jesus. It would be like uh, a modern day equivalent of like, here kid, here's an iPad. Get lost. Essentially, that's what the disciples were doing. And for some reason, it would seem the disciples concluded in this setting that Jesus, even after him teaching about this a chapter earlier, they concluded Jesus was way too important, had too many serious things to attend to than to deal with these these pesky kids. Well, we see Jesus respond to that. Jesus actually, you could say he rebukes the disciples' rebuke by saying, hey, verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so we see in these two accounts, Matthew 18 and Matthew 19, that Jesus is prioritizing children, and also making the point that we can learn from them. But the question we should have of this is, if you've been with us, we have uh, actually been working through the book of Matthew, uh, which is a biography of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And within that book, the whole goal, if you haven't been with us, I'll just, spoiler alert, here's what the whole book of Matthew is about. It is ultimately about revealing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That is the goal of the book. And so we are seeing that progress through Jesus' fulfilled prophecies, through his healing and his teaching and his miracles. And then most recently, last weekend, we looked at Jesus' transfiguration where we actually see his divinity on display in his humanity. It says that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. And so we've got all this revealing that Jesus is in fact the son of God, God in the flesh. And so the question then is what's with these two almost like interruptions, you know. What do little children have to do with revealing that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, as we look backwards in the book of Matthew, we'll see that there's actually a lot of connection between the role of children and Jesus as the Son of God. The first being just that very statement, that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, we understand that God is one God, in three persons. It's called the Trinity. It's a theology of the Trinity that God uh, is in three persons God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and then God the Son, Jesus. And so we see that of all the expressions that the God of the universe could have chosen to express himself, he chose that of a Father and a Son, a Father and a child. Beyond that, we see this expressed uh, from God to us. It says in 1 John 3 1 that we. Our children of God says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And so we have God the Father and God the Son, which also is bestowed upon us as fellow heirs to um, God's work in our lives as children of God. And then thirdly, we see the connection in that Jesus himself shows up on the scene as a child. That Jesus told, chose to express himself here on the planet first and foremost as a child, we see this in Isaiah 9:6 as a prophecy about Jesus before he even came. We are a very familiar passage around Christmas time. It says, "For unto us a child, a child is born, and to us a son is given." And, you know, normally we kind of when we think about Jesus come, we think we kind of jump to the fact that he came as a man. Yes, Jesus, God in the flesh, he came as a man. But remember, before. God was a man. God came as a baby, as a child. He came, and you could say he submitted himself to the ultimate expression of, you could say, Earth's humanity's helplessness, a baby. cannot do anything for himself. God of the universe submitted himself to be a baby that had to be nursed and changed and learned to walk and talk and eat and all of these things. And so we see this connection between childhood and the way that God is expressing himself in Jesus and to us. And so that's, that's how the connection is for Matthew revealing who Jesus is and the son of God. But then we see Jesus does grow up. It says in Luke 2 that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so as we follow the story of Jesus through the book of Matthew, as we've had over several months now, uh, we see that he grows up, this child becomes a man, and he launches into this full ministry of miracles and preaching and healing and traveling and teaching. And you could see that Jesus is a pretty busy guy. But even in the midst of this very important ministry of, uh, you know, doing his ministry and revealing that he's the son of God and God in the flesh, it would seem it's a priority for him to take time for the kiddos that even in the midst of all this, we see that Jesus prioritizes and takes time for the kiddos. And this might not seem like a big deal, particularly in our culture where you know, we, we love kids and you know, they probably revolves around them too much, we would argue in some ways. But in this culture, the opposite was true. In our day and age, you know, we're used to seeing public figures, you know, hugging on and kissing babies for the camera. I mean, that's something that we are used to seeing in our day, but that is not something that would have been a PR stunt for Jesus in those times. In fact, it was the opposite. Children were seen as subhuman, actually. In fact... So much so that uh, in, in the culture there, because of the, the way in which, again, just gender stuff and all kinds of things, sadly, it was, it was, a, it was a sad time to be a child, particularly if you were a little girl. Um, often if uh, a family was wanting a, a male child for all kinds of economic reasons in which they would want that, they would, they would discard often uh, a baby girl, uh, out with, literally put them out with the garbage. Or if a child had a disability, they would put it out with the garbage. It was, again, a terrible time in which to be a child. And so Jesus is actually completely turning this upside down, both in his, what he's saying, the value we should have and understand in children by investing in them, and then even furthermore, suggesting that we as adults could learn from children and should learn from them. And so that's what Jesus says. He says we need to change and actually become like children. So there's two key lessons for us that Jesus points out. Number one, again, we need to prioritize spending time with and investing in children, and then two, We need to, in turn, according to Jesus, if we want to be great, we need to learn from children, specifically when it comes uh, to their understanding of faith. All right? And so to understand how these two lessons play out for us here as adults, um, there's, I could say, one problem I came across in me presenting this information to you. You see, technically, I'm an adult. I love the stickers that come every service with that. Uh, so yes, technically, I am an adult. Um, and it would seem in these two stories, if you're with me, that it is actually the adults, it would seem, who get the story and the situation wrong. Whether in Matthew 18, you've got you know the, the adults jockeying for position as to who's gonna be the greatest, because that's what they were interested in. Or as in Matthew 19, Jesus says, you guys have it so upside down that you actually need to become more like children to understand what it means to have a developing, mature faith in me. And so. In an effort as I was preparing this week's message, I thought to overcome my adult that's, you know, in this situation, I decided that it would be better if I went to the experts. And so for this week's sermon, I enlisted the help of some children to help us understand uh, this week's message of what's going on in this story. And so last weekend after preaching, I snuck into uh, the kids' area, literally, had to sneak. have you seen the bouncers? that they have outside the doors. I mean, that's, that's, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding about the bouncers. They're real. I'm kidding about sneaking in because I am actually, uh, you can, no, no fear, I am a fully vetted, background-checked, um, you know, employee of the First Christian Church of Decatur, Illinois, so I had special permission to go back into the Holy of Holies um, <laughs> and spend some time with the kiddos during ages three and four snack time. Okay, And so I'm in there with snack time, and they're more interested in their snacks than me. They don't care that I'm there. But I briefly shared the story of Matthew 18 and 19, and with that, asked the kids these two questions. I said, all right, kiddos, why do you think that all the kids in this story wanted to spend time with Jesus? And then from there, I said, and then beyond that, why do you think the adults in the story didn't want the kids to spend time with Jesus? And so the responses I got were very helpful for us understanding, uh, again, the very lesson Jesus is teaching us, that we can learn from children. And so Adam Kalapek, age five, to the question, hey, why do you think the adults in the story, you know, rebuked? Why did they um, not want the kids to come hang out with Jesus? And Adam's response was this, because they didn't have time. Ouch. As adults, I think we can all relate to this one. I mean, I'll admit I am the chief of sinners on this. So when I've got something before me that I'm focused on and I've got four kids at home and, and they wanna do something or play or have some question that doesn't seem important to me, uh, I, can, I can be the chief of sinners. And in fact, the worst thing happens when you're preaching on something and then it happens like the day of, uh, that was yesterday. Um, I, was, uh, I had a, kind of a full day. I had a wedding uh, in the afternoon. and immediately had to rush over here to you know, do church and preaching and all that stuff. And so I tried to get an early start, kind of looking at this stuff, kind of make sure I was set to go for the day. And in the midst of this, my youngest, my five-year-old Callan, comes up to me and says, Dad, will you play slime with me? Okay. So we had some neighbors that they went to the store with and got them some slime. Worst gift ever. Um, because uh, the last time she had slime, she managed to, her idea of playing with it was putting it on the carpet and sitting on it. Um, yeah, so bad, bad stuff. And so technically, um, I did end up playing slime with her, but it was for selfish reasons that I, didn't, I wanted to save time, not having to clean up carpet, and really wasn't because I was a good dad at all. And so I struggle with this. I do, and I think we can all relate. We, we struggle with prioritizing. We think our adult stuff is serious business, and we can be bad about making sure we're prioritizing, you know, a quantity of time that can turn into quality time because you never know when it's going to show up uh, with kids. And so thanks be to little Adam Kolopek and Jesus who set us straight that says, hey, we need to, we need to take the time and we need to prioritize, spend the time with and invest in children. And so I'm very thankful to be a part of a church that does this. Uh, We have um, a significant ministry to families here uh, called First Kids and Student Life. And uh, I would just just to kind of bring you in, some of you are engaged in this so you know, but some of you don't. And so I think it'd be encouraging to hear how you as a church help make this reality of what Jesus has told us to do a reality in the life of our church. Know this, it takes over 100 volunteers every weekend for us to pull off prioritizing and ministering to kids in our First Kids and Student Life program. And uh, just as an aside, one of the things I love seeing uh, when I go into those spaces is I love to see, just candidly, I love seeing guys back there. I love seeing men back there volunteering, down on their knees, working with the little kids. And I think that um, we could argue without getting into all the sociology of it, sociology that the greatest single factor um, systemic need that we have in our society today is for men to be investing in kids to have men pouring into and, and investing in kids and I think there's a there's an unfortunate kind of cultural fallacy that we have that you know that for some reason that i am just say it, that we think that that's women's work, particularly when it comes to younger kids. And I would say that the ratios of men versus women volunteering probably reflect that. Uh, but I would encourage us as guys that, you know, hey, let's look at Jesus as the example. I mean, you, you don't have a more masculine guy than Jesus. I mean, you've got Jesus, he was tough. He was a blue-collar guy. He was a carpenter. All at the same time, he's got this side hustle of running a ministry and revealing he's the son of God. I mean, Jesus was a busy guy. And all that he had going on, he still, it would seem, had time to prioritize time with kids. And he instructs us that we need to do the same. And so for us, that's obviously true. If you have kids for our own kids, or if you have grandkids or nieces and nephews, how can you prioritize and invest in them? Uh, maybe for you, it's kids in the neighborhood or some other kids in your sphere of influence if you're not at that stage of life. How can you pour into them? Maybe it's getting engaged in the community by you know, coaching youth sports or scouts or something like that. Uh, And then obviously right here uh, at home at the church, uh, again, I would say, and I think we would agree that if there's one goal that we have for our children of all the things that they can achieve in life, whether in athletics or school or whatever you want to paint, that they would grow up to walk with Jesus Christ all the days of their life, there is no greater goal. And so if that's something you want to be specifically a part of in the life of our church, again, it takes over 100 volunteers. And I know going into the fall, we're, we're needing about 15 more going into this season. And so um, if that's something that, you know, hey, maybe God's knocking on your heart to, to jump into, uh, we wanted to make that as easy as possible to express interest today. And so on your program that you received in worship, um, there is a little tear-off card that says um, serve in family ministry. And you're not signing up for anything, but basically you're just saying, I'd like to get the conversation started. I'd be interested in finding out more. So you can just put your contact info there and you can drop it off at the Welcome Center, uh, either on your way out of the West Auditorium or in the East Auditorium, there's a Welcome Center there as well. Um, And so these are some ways, again, that we can prioritize what Jesus told us to prioritize, and that is to pour into and invest in young children that they might grow up uh, to know Jesus all the days of their life in whatever setting we might have that opportunity. The way we do this as a church, kind of another chapter of this, is the, the philosophy of ministry that we have is something we call an orange philosophy of ministry. And what orange means, um, essentially, it's it's kind of a, an illustration that, that we as the church believe that God has called both families and churches to work together uh, in raising children to know Jesus Christ all the days of their life. And so we say that red represents the heart of the home, and that the yellow represents, you know, the light of the world, the church. And so that when red and yellow Come together. It's kind of like the old the Ziploc commercials, remember? Like the yellow and blue make green seal? Anyone? Yes? Okay. Okay. Just making sure. I, you know, we didn't have TiVo then, so there was no fast forwarding the commercials. So we all saw the Ziploc. Okay. So move on, Brian. Okay. Red and yellow come together to make orange. That's what we believe that God's called us to. That is a family and as the church, that we are a church family working together to help children grow up to follow Jesus all the days of their life. And so some specific ways in which we do that, uh, we it right out of the chute with a, an event called Baby Dedication, where it's an event for parents and their new child and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and relatives and church family to come together to say, we are gonna commit together to raise this child to walk with the Lord all the days of their life, that that's our commitment to this child. And so that's a neat event that we have again, right out uh, at the beginning. We have this a couple times a year that you can participate in with new babies. Um, weekly uh, in uh, parents inboxes. Uh, And if you're a grandparent or a guardian and you're not getting these, you can definitely sign up for these. Uh, Something called Parent Cues. And it's an email that has uh, pretty much some questions and some passages that all reflect what it is that the child talked about in the weekend uh, first kids program. And so you can, as a parent, beyond just this one day a week, you can the other six days a week follow up and have conversations about what they're learning in and growing in and kind of, again, keep that working together. Red and yellow, heart of home the light of the church coming together for doing this. Uh, parental involvement, huge in all of our areas. We definitely encourage that. We have lots of parents engaged. Uh, another way in which we try to be orange is we engage kids in ministry now. Maybe you've heard the expression, you know, we got to invest in children because, you know, they are the church of tomorrow. Well, I'll say that we believe here, and I think you would agree, that kids are the church of today just as much as they are tomorrow. And so we, we enlist kids to serve in ministry right now. And so we have kids who serve, uh, you might've noticed when you came in uh, to worship, you had a couple of kids handing out programs They're part of our hospitality team. We have kids who are involved in the worship arts department. We have kids who are involved in tech ministry. Uh, we have kids as they get older who work with the younger kids. We want kids to begin to use their gifts and their talents and their abilities that God's given them now for ministry right here as kids. Uh, beyond that, we have uh, something that's called family faith events. Family faith events are opportunities where parents or guardians or grandparents or aunts and uncles with the child kind of come to a, a deal together, rather than you know drop them off in uh, a ministry and just say okay good luck with that. That we want to help you work together with your kids, and so we have special sessions each year as they grow up. On you know baby dedication, you could say is the first family faith event, and then we have sessions on prayer, how to read your Bible, where the kids get a Bible, they learn about being generous. Uh, we have a thing on on baptism. We have an event around communion. And then as the kids get older, the mission trips are a great opportunity for parents and kids to come together to go on those. And so all of these are opportunities for us as a church to live up to the high call of Jesus, to say, hey, we need to invest in and prioritize the faith development of children. And we realize that the way God designed it, you see this all throughout scripture, is that it's with the family and the church working together as a church family to see this through, okay? And so as we do that, that is our commitment as a church. But we, we even step back from that, that we see our ministry to families even more holistically, that uh, as you sit here today and you're like, well, that's not really the stage of life I'm in. Um, and maybe for some of you, and we've, we've prayed for and fasted for and, and ministered to, we've been through countless situations where we know that um, maybe you're struggling Uh, to get pregnant and you're going through uh, a difficult season of of infertility uh, or where miscarriages uh, have been your story or the loss of a child. We, We see that all of this is part of the ministry of what it means for us to be a church family to rally around all of these areas of life. We also recognize that some of you, you know, you have adult children. You know, as my mom always says to me, it's like we get in an argument about something. She's like, well, you're still my kid, you know, and, it, and it's true. It's like, you know, these kids, even though they're your adult children, are still your kids. And so maybe they're not um, where you had hoped they would be uh, is relative to their faith and, and, and walking with the Lord. And so all these things, we want to come alongside uh, you as a church and work together to say, okay, how can we continue to invest in and pray for all of these things when it comes to the whole family of what it is for us to be a church together? Um, A couple of things um, when it comes to matters of worship. uh, These are, you could say, some frequently asked questions. So I thought today would probably be the best time to tackle some of these. These are questions I would say I get the most frequently when it comes to kids. So I've got three more here. Uh, When it comes to worship, I get the question, so when should my child start sitting in worship with me? Well, we would say as soon as able, as soon as they're able. And we programmatically set this up to happen uh, by middle school. We have our, intentionally have our middle school and high school programs uh, in the afternoon because we know the value at that age particularly to have kids in worship uh, together with their parents. So that happens programmatically, you could say, by default, by junior high. But we would say as early as possible. We have, um, you know, families that uh, we, we say sit one and serve one. Meaning that they'll come to worship together as a family, parents and kids alike. And then the next class or on Saturday night or something like that, uh, the parents will serve and the kids will go to their first kids program or something like that. Um, That's that's what we did this weekend. But sometimes when we're only here for one service, here's the point. We're not legalistic about this. Um, you know, as far as should our kids be in worship or should they be in first kids? Um, you've got to know your kid and you've got to know what's best for, um, you know, what, where they're at. And I'll say just as anecdotally, that's my family. We're kind of split. I've got, out of our four children, two sons. We've got a, uh, a nine-year-old, Camden, who when we come, he loves going to first kids and, and being with all his buddies up there. Thanks be to God, he wants to be in church. We have our younger son, Case, who's seven, who when he comes, he prefers that he would sit on the front row with mom and dad uh, you know, during church in here. Thanks be to God, Case wants to be in church. And so we're not legalistic about these things. We want you, again, to equip and give you the resources as parents and guardians and grandparents to help make that happen as you lead them and we come alongside you. Another question uh, we get often is, when should uh, I talk to my child about being baptized? Well, programmatically we see that developmentally the the best age for that is around third grade. And you see this in other traditions as well. You know, it comes to first communions and some of the things that may be depending on your background, but we see about third grade is typically the best time to have that conversation. And so that's one of our family faith events. However, Again, not being legalistic about it, we have kids who make that decision later on. And we also have kids who make that decision much earlier um, than than third grade. And so, again, it's it's getting a feel for once they've received the investment of the home and the church and they start to express interest in, you know, taking this decision for themselves, as much as they're able at their developmental age, um, then we work together with you all as parents to decide, okay, you know, is it time for them to, to get baptized? And so we work with you on that. Um, And then the last one I would say is communion. That's the question we get. When should our children take communion? And again, a lot of this is tied to maybe if you come from a different tradition background that um, we just, again, we empower you and respect that wherever you see that is. We're not going to be legalistic about it. But uh, typically, if you want to, you know, just tell me when it is. I would say that traditionally in the life of the church, it follows baptism. And so it's our fourth grade family faith event where we learn about communion. Um, But again, I'll say again, anecdotally, my own kid, uh, since he was five, even before he was baptized, he expressed interest in wanting to participate in communion. And so we just let him say the prayer. So to make sure he understood at least enough to do it. And so Case, when he was five, he would always pray, dear Jesus, thank you for the bread and the juice and that you bleeded on the cross. Okay. His grammar is bad, but the, but the theology is sound. And so we said, thanks be to God. He gets to participate uh, in communion. So all this to say, we as a church, our goal is to come alongside you as families. Again, one church family, red and yellow, home and church, that we would all work together to do what God's called all of us to do and as to help these young kids grow up to follow Jesus all the days of their life. Okay. So now that was a little bit of a housekeeping stuff and kind of like, okay, that's a long list. So hopefully that's helpful to you um, again, because that's what Jesus called us to. But the other side of that coin then comes to us as adults and that Jesus not only said, make sure we invest in children, but the other side of that coin is making sure that we in turn, if we want to be great in our faith, well, then we have things to learn from children specifically when it comes to their approach to faith. So. With that, let's head back to the experts, let's let's ask the children. Uh, I asked Kelton Koskinen, who just turned six today, it's his birthday today, pretty exciting, Uh, why did the children want to come to Jesus? His response? Jesus is fun. Jesus is fun. Which all the class agreed, yes, Jesus is fun. Both classes that I got to ask, yeah, they all said Jesus is fun. The scripture reveals that there's, there's, there's joy and fun to be had. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A happy heart makes the face cheerful. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine. And so we see that joy and laughter and happiness, I mean, these things, uh, you could say, are a part of kind of a whole council of who we are is created in the image of God. But What's interesting is like when I read these commentaries, in commentaries, these are like, basically what a bunch of old guys wrote about the Bible to say what things that are important, which are very helpful, don't get me wrong. They, they tend to, you know, old guys, I think they're written for old guys. It's like they, they're, they're real serious. You know, they talk about the serious stuff of Jesus, which is important, and we've talked about that, and we're going to talk about those things, but it fails sometimes to catch the full humanity of who we would have suspect Jesus is. If, again, we're created in God's image and we uh, understand that fun and laughter and joy is a part of who we are, then it would make sense that Jesus would have embodied these realities. And so I love to think of Jesus, you know, just being on the boat with his 12 disciples, with his buddies, hanging out, you know, getting to cutting up and, you know, Jesus just starting to laugh and like, you know, kind of the, you're laughing so hard you can't control it that tears start to come down Jesus' face and his stomach hurts from laughing. I mean, I like to picture that this could have been very likely how Jesus would have responded. And and we see this. I mean, you start to read the stories of Jesus and unpack some of the layers there. I mean, he's a pretty funny guy. I mean, he's a pretty witty guy. He likes to jokes and cut up. And and this is who our our God is expressed in Jesus. And if you really want, I would say, the best evidence that Jesus would have been fun, that Kelton is right, and along with the rest of the other kids, um, we think we all know this story is the greatest evidence of it. Because we know, if you know kids, children, as you picture children running up to want to be with Jesus... We know this about kids, kids don't want to run up to not fun adults. It's true children do not want to be with adults that aren't fun. They, you know, they—that that is the greatest evidence. And we see that all these kids, I like to kind of picture like, you know, maybe Jesus was kind of like the fun uncle that they all wanted to go and be with and, and hang out with. And, um, you know, in fact, I came across this story, this uh, this picture in this past week. I thought it was just a, a beautiful picture of, you know, just kind of an artist's rendition of, you know, what that interaction between a child and Jesus could have been like. And so it's good. It's, it's a good theology for us to say, hey, if we're created in the image of God and the joy and the fun and the things that we, are, we feel DNA'd within us that it makes sense that this would be part of our full understanding of who Jesus is and frankly when Jesus says we can learn from children this is a great space to remember it so yes the important serious stuff is important but so is this side of things alright so we can learn from Kelton and all the kids that Jesus um, would have been fun alright Cody Bagley age four and a half I'm quoting him in my enunciation. The half was much more important than the four. We know this uh, for all ages around that age. We want to know four and a half. I asked him, why do the children want to come to Jesus? His response, because Jesus is big and strong. Jesus is big and strong. And you know, based on Cody's expression there, Jesus is fun. (laughs) Taking pictures with Pastor Brian is not. Cody also said, he said, I want God to come to my house so I can see what he looks like and Batman too. And and I kind of love that because as Cody grows up and matures and all this, he will see that in a not make-believe way, that in a very real way, that Jesus is kind of the actual superhero that actually has real power to influence and make things happen uh, in, in our lives and in our world around us. And so that's a great truth that Jesus is big and strong. And scripture backs Cody up. It says in Psalm 24, 8, Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. And so the Lord, he is, he is big and strong, and then he uses that strength, it says in, in God's word, as a provider and a protector. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And so Cody's right. God, he's our big, strong protector and provider, and we can count on that in our faith as we mature by becoming like a child and trusting God in that way. Parker Meek, age four, to why did the children want to come to Jesus, says, because Jesus saves us. Because Jesus saves us. You know, you could say that is the ultimate Sunday school answer, isn't it? Jesus saves. And you know what? You know why it's the Sunday school answer? because it's the right answer. And so that's great that he knows, uh, even if he doesn't fully understand all the implications of what that statement means, that Jesus came and died to forgive us of our sins so we can have a gift of a new life, both here and for all of eternity, we know that as young Parker grows up, he knows, Jesus saves, and he's gonna grow up just like Jesus did. He's gonna grow up in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, and he's gonna develop into a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ who understands more and more with age and maturity all that that statement that he already knows at the young age of four already means. And so that's a, it's a reminder for us that we can maintain the core and the central realities. They're not basics. These are, the, these are what's central to our Christian faith, that Jesus saves. Great truth that we can be reminded of In in the the kids, Ella Sherrard, age three, when I asked why didn't the adults want the kids to come to Jesus, she said, "I don't know. This doesn't make sense." (laughs) Now, I don't know if the way I was asking the question didn't make sense, or uh, if you know she thought, you know, why wouldn't the adults want the kids to come to Jesus? Like that doesn't make sense. Um, I'm going to go with the latter. Uh, Because I think it helps, it preaches better. Uh, But that's—I think—that's a fair statement. That you know, as adults, you know, if we know that we have a fun, loving Father who's big and strong and saves us, you know, why wouldn't we, as adults, like a child, trust in and depend on our big, strong God to lead us and provide for us? Um, Another kind of proof, and that I think Ella got what I was saying is she she wanted to sing her favorite song for me, and so here's her favorite song. sums it up very well. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven days a week, I can count on God. My God is number one. I said it. She's saying it. I'm just going to say it. Uh, but just like a child can go to their dad, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days a week, we too, in faith like a child, we can count on and go to our God dad our heavenly father our god we can go to god uh one two three four five six seven days a week uh we call that prayer we can go to him in prayer and we can count on god we call that trusting his word trusting his word the bible for us so we can count on god that our god is number one So these are some great lessons that the children, again, appropriately to the way that Jesus said we should learn, have taught us. And I think that even as we mature in our faith, that ironically, we can do that by becoming more like a child. And so would you just thank, help me thank these little kids for helping us, Adam, Kelton, Cody, Parker, and Ella. For teaching us what it means to grow up in our faith by becoming more like a child. And so that's important for us as adults that I trust every one of us has gained something from as we go out and live our life one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days outside of a Sunday. Um, but on the flip side of that, we also know that in our commitment to, to children, not only do we learn from them, but we are committed to invest in and just like Jesus, blessed and prayed for the children. Uh, we wanna make sure that we prioritize that here in our time together today. And so with that, I'm gonna invite you to stand. And if you're here today and you've got, you know, one of your little kiddos here with us and uh, we, we, every week we have uh, leaders at the front of the church, uh, the front of the room who are honored to pray with you both in the East Auditorium as well as in the West. And if you have your little kids with you today, we would love and be honored to be, uh, you know, prayer partners with you to just pray for them, bless them as they go back to school and kind of, I know summers, I know I'm not supposed to say the school word yet. Uh, we've still got a little bit of time, but uh, we would love to pray with, uh, with your little kiddos, young, small, either way. We also recognize with that, um, and, and just, oh, by the way, if you do, yeah, you can have that. That's fine, I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all yours. It's all yours. Um, that if your kids are over in First Kids and they're not here, that's cool too. We would still, as parents, or again, grandparents or guardians, uh, we would love to pray with you as well up at the front of the room. Uh, we also recognize that for some of you, this is a difficult thing to talk about because whether infertility or the loss of a child, uh, and you're going through a difficult season with that uh, in the same manner we would be honored and humbled to pray with you uh, about whatever you're going through in that space. And then again, if you have adult children, uh, who again, they're they're always gonna be your child, even if they're not a child anymore. uh, That if there's something specific, whether they're walk with the Lord or something they're going through, or just in general, you wanna pray a blessing over their lives. Again, all these things. Um, God says, my house is to be a house of prayer. And that's what we're gonna be about. And it says in Hebrews, um, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence that we can approach our heavenly Father with confidence, it says that we might receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need, and so that's the good news that we can. We don't. We don't have to come to Him as adults who have our acts all together, you know, uh, to impress God. We don't don't impress God. We get to come to him, not to impress, but to express our our need for him, our trust in him as our God. And we can come to him just as we are. We got our Kool-Aid mustache. We got our fudgicles that were dripping. Maybe even a little little snot coming out of that one, little nostril that we can come to Jesus just the way we are as his children by the privilege of Jesus Christ as God, our father. And so for any of those things, we'd love to pray with you as we worship our great God. Won't you join us for prayer up front?